This is Cody Broadway, the host of Dying to Be Wrong, The Price of COVID Misinformation. This is Episode 3, Faith, Family, and Funerals. If you haven't already, I encourage you to go back to the Dying to Be Wrong feed to listen to Episode 1 and 2 of this series. We're going through a pandemic. But it's not the end of the world. You know, God is with us. Just believe in God, you know, and to pray. Let's get back to God. That's what we need to do. If we want to look to find where our real answer is, it's it's in the Lord. I think we have more churches here than we have grocery stores. Almost one on every corner. I told people, I tell them my, on my preachings, you know what? Just come as you are. Because the only thing that you're going to get contagious here is about touching by God, touching about the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be healed. Yes, but you know what? People die all the time in car accidents going 75 mile per hour and losing control of their car. What did your preacher say about that? Even among people of faith, there's a place for science. I'm Cody Broadway, an NBCLX storyteller in Los Angeles, but San Angelo, Texas is my hometown. So going home to tell this story was very personal. Over the past year, several family members have contracted COVID-19 and a few friends have died from the virus. To some, they are just numbers, but to the people that knew and loved them, it's a daily reminder that we're losing this battle against a terrible disease. A battle not just of biology, but a fight over ideology, values, and what it means to be a community. So why are so many of our neighbors dying to be wrong? And what is the price we pay for COVID misinformation? This is episode three, Faith, Family, and Funerals. Over the past 18 months, there have been skeptics surrounding the number of COVID cases and deaths. Some suggest that the numbers are skewed and believe that every death that occurs is labeled as a COVID death to match some narrative. COVID kind of started going away. This is J.D. Harper, the owner of Harper Funeral Home in San Angelo, Texas. We sit in the back of his funeral home in more of a storage area, stacks of red chairs surrounding us. This is the only place that didn't have a body waiting to be buried. In fact, we went through almost all the summer with like, it would be like two or three cases a day maybe, but here in the last few weeks, it's it's picked back up. So San Angelo, they put out a little deal every day on how many new cases, so I keep track of that. COVID cases and deaths are sent from the local hospital, Shannon Medical, to the health services director, Sandra Beverill. We met her in episode one. She's responsible for reporting all of the numbers in Tom Green County. And this is what gets reported, you know, puts on the daily website. Sandra sits at her desk, showing me her computer screen that reads 107 antigens, followed by a list of ages, genders, and counties. But I know that we ourselves from health department don't have enough staff. I asked her what her thoughts were when people questioned her reporting of the numbers. She sits back, looking at me. I could feel a shift in her demeanor. This, this was yesterday's stack of antigens, of antigens. Sandra pulls a large stack of paper from behind her, dropping it on the desk in front of her. She holds up the first page in the air for me to see. Each of these is one person. Each of these is one person. And this is every day. This is every day. It's hard. You see these daily numbers every single day. You see people and you see the signs and you see the symptoms. It plays on your mind and your psyche, but it's doubly hard when you see people in the hospital that you know and you can't say anything. You have to hold it in. Um, it's hard when they're relatives and it's hard when they die. 
18 months into the pandemic, Tom Green County has lost over 460 individuals to the virus, 130 of those in just the past few months. Some in the community have downplayed the numbers, claiming that every death that occurs, accidental or by natural causes, is listed as a COVID-19 death. But according to Sandra, that couldn't be further from the truth. We also will wait for the death summary from the doctor, certifying that death. So sometimes it may not be on that day or the next day, but we will wait for that. We may get a notice that this person has you know, passed, but until we get that summary, we're not going to report it. So we want to see, make sure, what did they die? What is, was it really, I mean, you know, we just want to make sure. And so we do wait for that summary in order to report those deaths. So with only reporting COVID-19 deaths ruled by a health official, what does that mean for individuals with COVID symptoms that may have died, say, at home? There is potentially more that have died of COVID-related um, as a COVID-related uh, death that we ourselves don't get a report from, especially if they die at home. So we would never have reported those out. So there still might be a few others that, you know, uh, maybe not many, but still there will be more deaths associated with COVID. And with that, we are going to start with our chaplain prayer. So would Ed Lopez please come forward to do the prayer for us. Mayor Gunner stepped in front of the podium at City Council on a February day in 2020. She introduces Ed Lopez, chaplain for the San Angelo Police Department. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Full disclosure, God. I know Ed Lopez. He hired me in high school to work at the Boys and Girls Club, giving me my first real work experience. Serve your kingdom one more day. Ed is, was my husband. Um, this is Maria Martinez. We sit at her brown kitchen table. The room is decorated with rooster and chicken theme. She's wearing glasses and a leopard print shirt. A blue mask lays in front of her on the table. He loved the community and he would do anything for it. He was a chaplain for San Angelo Police Department for 11 years. He had his church for 25 years. So, I mean, he did things to impact the community. He ended up getting vaccinated through, uh, because he was a chaplain for the police department and the police department was able to get uh, vaccinated. So he got his first shot in December and his second shot in January. He trusts God, he trusted science, you know, and we felt, you know, that this was a good opportunity, you know, um, for him to try to take steps to better protect himself, protect us, his family, you know, uh, the community, just to better make a difference, you know, of, you know, we're hoping, you know, we wouldn't get sick. On July 26, 2021, both Ed and his wife Maria tested positive for COVID-19. Less than a week later, Ed's oxygen level had dropped. Let's call your mom and ask her, you know, if it was, you know, if I should go or what, you know, just kind of get another opinion because I know he didn't want to go. And so we called her and she said, go ahead and go. Maria drops her head. Tears start to run down her cheek as she tells the story. And we drove up to the front and I said, okay, babe, I said, I'm going to drop you off right here. I said, but I got to go park. And he said, okay. And I went and go park. And then I came back in 
to go check to see how he was doing and as soon as I walked in through the doors I looked to my right and he was sitting there on a wheelchair that they had in the front and I said babe he goes I just feel real tired I said okay I said I'm gonna go let them know that you're here so I went to the receptionist and I told him you know and I gave him the information and they went and grabbed him and I said, come on, baby, we got to go in. And, you know, that was the last time I was going to get to see him like that. You know, it just was really hard. The doctor had gone in and told him he'd probably be there about five days or so. And I said, OK, you know, we can, you know, I'll be right here waiting for you to come home. And then at 4.30 Tuesday morning, they called me and said, Ed is getting intubated and he's going to be taken to Shannon by ambulance downtown. And I never got to hear his voice again. He was in the hospital from August 1st to August 21st until he passed. Back on that February day in 2020, Ed Lopez stood in his police uniform with his head bowed in front of city council offering prayer for city leaders just a month before San Angelo would receive its first COVID-19 case. Father, now we ask you that you be with our mayor and city council staff. Lord, that you'll give them, Father God, the wisdom from above, discernment to be able to make the best decisions that will impact the citizens of San Angelo. We ask you, Father God, again, Lord, that you'll place your hedge protection around our city and keep it safe, Father God. When Ed died in the hospital on August 21st, it was Harper Funeral Home that got the call to retrieve the body from the hospital. In fact, they received multiple COVID death calls on that day. It's difficult. Um, people are struggling with it. Funeral Home owner, J.D. Harper. One of the worst parts is uh, when someone passes away from it, it's usually they've been isolated for a long period of time. A lot of these families, they haven't even been allowed to see them or uh, you know, touch them or feel them or, you know, just be around them at all. Before all this, you know, when someone passes away, a lot of times families come in, they spend time with them, you know, they're there to love them and support them and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when someone dies of COVID, a lot of times it's, it's by themselves. And uh, that's tough. That's one of the hardest things to see. Bishop Michael Sis describes the strain that COVID-19 deaths are having on the Catholic Church. Here we are in West Texas, where the spread of this virus has been considerable. Many of our churches have had an, just an unending stream of funerals. 15% of the population in West Texas is Catholic, according to the bishop. We sit around a table in his office with a deacon sitting off to the side listening to the interview. Some of them have had a hard time scheduling funerals because the funeral homes aren't able to accommodate them as quickly as people are passing away from COVID. Some of our funeral homes have had to store the bodies until you could finally find time to bury them. Our priests were getting worn out with all the funerals. I had one priest and somebody was mad at him because he wouldn't do two funerals on the same day. And he said, I have funerals every day. And he said, I'm finding that for my own emotional well-being, I really shouldn't do more than two funerals in a day because of how it affects me 
emotionally. Can you imagine? Uh, it, there's, and right now, we've got a lot of funerals going on. One of our priests died of COVID. Three of our deacons died of COVID. One of our deacon candidates died of COVID. And so it's affecting our, our staffing. Many of our, our staff members in our churches and in our diocese have been, gotten sick or died of COVID. And so it, it's a hardship for us as a church, the level of death and destruction that this virus has brought. The Catholic Church isn't the only ones that have felt the destruction of this virus. J.D. Harper and his funeral home have felt it as well. One of our ladies in the office, um, she got exposed. It, it ended up, it ended up, uh, she ended up dying of it. Uh, she was a pretty great lady. She had, uh, she helped take care, care of her grandkids and husband's super nice guy. Um, and actually we're, we're gonna do the service for her later on today. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll, yeah, definitely been affected by it, so. Before a death is even reported as a COVID-19 death, the people that see them last are the ones on the front lines treating them, the doctors. Dr. Veredis describes the conversations that happen within the hospital walls. I, I tell people, you know, in the emergency department, when somebody comes in looking bad, and I say, you know, I don't think they're going to survive, but, you know, God bats last, and some people I've sworn were going to die do fine, and other people that I think, ah, oh, this is great, he's going to do fine, they'll die. So, you know, there, there's a place, a place for prayer and a place for uh, hope, but there's another place for science. One common theme when I asked people at the Taste of San Angelo event from episode two was faith over fear. I asked the bishop and another church leader, what role does faith and fear play in handling the virus? This is what the bishop had to say. Even among people of faith, there's a place for science. And so we shouldn't, as people of faith, we shouldn't deny the value of science and medicine. I'm a man of faith, but when I got COVID in November of last year, I certainly utilized the wisdom of medical science so that I could fight that disease and not end up in the hospital and not die from it. And I think they go hand in hand. I met with Jose Flores, the preacher and founder of Martha Church, a non-denominational church in the heart of San Angelo. This is what he had to say about the role science plays in religion. God, science, medicine, and all of that God created all of these for us to have a perfect environment. We need the doctors and all of these because we need them. We need, we need the nurses. We need the people who work in the metal, on the, on the medical field. If I go against them, one day I'm going to need them. Dr. Veretta says that the virus doesn't discriminate based on religious beliefs. Across the country, there have been several super spreader events that were at churches of people that thought God was going to take care of them. I think if God didn't want us to wear a mask, he'd find some better way of letting us know about it other than wiping out different church groups. Back at the Taste of San Angelo event, the tune was different. Some felt the answer for beating this deadly virus was found directly in the Bible. Rusty Swanson explains. These freedoms and protections we have come straight out of the Bible. And that's one thing people aren't talking about enough. You know, if we want to look to find where our real answer is, it's, it's in the Lord. And uh, if we will humble ourselves and pray and uh, 
seek God's face, then he will answer and heal our land. That's a promise. So that's what we, we want to continue to focus on and focus on the good because there's a lot of it out there. There is a lot of good happening, but naturally the virus and the pandemic have brought on a lot of fear, even inside the church. I think the fear is going to be out there. Like I say a while ago, fear is going to be out there, but faith also is going to be out there. And like I tell the congregation, listen, this, vir this virus is real, it's out there. Because it's impossible that we protect 100%. I mean, we use the mask, we use a social distance, but I mean, it's, it's impossible. Bishop Michael Sis explains what happens if people can't find a common ground when it comes to handling the virus. Well, of course, the danger is that if people disagree with what is the true and correct way to mitigate the spread of this disease, then people will do differing things, some of which help and some of which hurt, and the virus will spread more. More people will get sick and more people will die. For Jose Flores, his worry is the fight for survival. I'm afraid that it's gonna be at times when the good people to survive have to do a bad thing. And that's on the Bible. That's on the Bible. I'm NBCLX storyteller Cody Broadway. I hope you enjoyed episode three of Dying to Be Wrong. Here's a preview for episode four. It's gotten to the point where you can just put anything out there on the internet and it becomes truth. And the ability to share that is, you know, it, you know it's infinite, just like, you know, this virus is spreading. Social media is, is everything for a lot of people. Please subscribe now to Dying to be Wrong wherever you listen to podcasts to get automatic downloads of new episodes as soon as they become available. For more, please visit lx.com forward slash dying to be wrong. That's lx.com slash D-Y-I-N-G-T-O-B-E-W-R-O-N-G.